Good morning. What a great morning to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Man, that was good. Y'all are, y'all are ready to go for this Palm Sunday. It's going to be a great service. We're looking forward to sharing the Lord's Supper with you guys and just having some amazing preaching and some amazing worship. And so it's going to be an awesome morning. If you're a guest with us, we would love to connect with you. And there are a couple of ways that you can make that happen. There should be one of these cards in the pew in front of you. If you'd like to take that out and fill that out and drop it in the offering plate as it goes by, um, we can get your information that way. But you can also just text us if you'd rather. And so um, you can text the number 432-300-5400. You can text the word welcome to that number. That's another way that we can connect with you as a guest. Again, we are super excited to see all of y'all here this morning. If y'all would do me a favor, y'all stand and y'all welcome one another to the house of the Lord this morning. To our online audience, we are so glad that you guys are watching with us. It is such a privilege to have you guys a part of our service this morning. And you are a part of our service this morning. And we want to know that you guys are out there. And so we would love for you guys to take just a second and to leave a comment while you're watching. You can also text us at 432-350-400. If you text the word welcome to that number, we can also connect with you that way. We are so privileged to have you guys joining us this morning. Y'all have a great morning. Let us know if you need anything. Good morning. You may be seated. We're so glad that you're here to worship this morning and celebrate the Lord's work as we take the Lord's Supper. I'd like uh, for just a moment to, to call your attention to our My One emphasis that we've been doing. And hopefully God has placed upon your heart someone that you can pray for and uh, invite next Sunday especially as we come to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture says in Romans 8, and maybe you're wondering how you can pray and how you can better pray. Romans 8, 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So as you begin to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to pray through you. And Isaiah 11 says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And Ephesians 1.8 says, open the eyes of their hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Shine your light on the hope you are calling them to embrace. Reveal to them the glorious riches you are preparing as their inheritance. Let's pray together, and I would invite anybody that would like to come to the altar and pray together as, as the body of Christ as we join our hearts together in praying for those who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can come now and join me as we pray. Father God, we love you, and we pray, Lord, that as we go through this time, Father, of asking for your Holy Spirit to guide us as we pray for others, Father, that we would be overwhelmed with how to pray. Lord, that you would guide our, our thoughts, that you would enlighten our eyes, Father. Father, we seek you. We want to fill this place with people that need to know you as Lord and Savior. 
Father, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need you to guide us. Father, we are desperate for you. We pray that this land would see a revival and a renewal. Lord, but that only comes from you. And Lord, our hearts need to be right with you. Father, our hearts need to be ready to receive what you want to do in us. Change us, Father. Remake remake us and mold us to be more like you. Father, we ask this for your glory, not our own. Father, our land is, is such a need. And right here in Midland, we can do our part as you lead us. Father, help us to be bold witnesses for you. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning and welcome to worship today. We're so excited to have you in worship today as our ushers begin to take the morning offering. I'm going to invite you to join us in this interactive Palm Sunday worship, Why the Cross Still Matters. Say this with me. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
morning, First Family. This talk today is one that we've done annually. Every Palm Sunday I've been here. For me, I've done it about 15 years in a row now. The theme of it is, as my friend Jeff rightly said, why the cross still matters. We will ping pong our way through this service, taking a journey through the last week and ministry of the life of Jesus. There is no higher week in Christian calendar than this one. And I believe that you cannot fully appreciate the glory and beauty of Easter until you understand the darkness that led up to it. So today, as we begin our journey, let us do so by inviting the power of the Spirit of God to speak into our lives. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to come in the first place. We remember your arrival in Bethlehem. We remember, Lord Jesus, those who came to celebrate it. We remember, Lord Jesus, the purpose for which you came. Today, Lord, we remember the deliverance that you came to bring us, bought with your precious blood. It was no surprise to you, but it was most definitely something that was difficult. So today we praise you, Jesus, for it. We remember, Lord Jesus, your entry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On Palm Sunday, here it is. In John chapter 12, we have that story. If you want to follow along in your copy of God's Word, you're welcome to do so. Jesus enters the city to no, no small fanfare. Verse 12 and 13 says this, The next day, Sunday, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. A welcome parade like none before or since. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem at the high point of the festival, and they welcomed him like a returning hero. That's what the palm branches mean. Victory. They laid them down in the path ahead of him. They waved them as he came past them. They laid their coats down in the road before him with messianic utterances like Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They celebrated this glorious moment. It was the high point for the disciples. It was the high point for those in the city. But I would submit to you, friends, not for Jesus. He knew what was ahead. The welcome was a fine start, but that's all it was, a start. The fickleness of the people of the city would soon become evident, and painfully so, as they used the same voices to proclaim Jesus' arrival. The next time they raised their voices would be to call for his execution. The people welcomed Jesus one day and they scorned him the next. Let's make sure we don't make the same mistake. Let's make sure we welcome Jesus every day. Before going to the cross, 
Jesus promised believers the Holy Spirit's presence. This next song might be misunderstood as an invitation for him to join us today. He doesn't need an invitation. He's already here among us. Rather, I hope you will sing it as a declaration of your desire for him to move powerfully in our midst. Will you stand and sing with us now?
after a long week of intense ministry, Jesus goes across toward the Mount of Olives. It's on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. He crosses the Kidron Valley, and when he does so, he arrives a little garden. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. It is there in Luke 22 that we read about the prayer that Jesus prayed. I invite you to turn to Luke 22, starting in verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? Jesus asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading him. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The other half of that story is in John 18. If you didn't turn to Luke 22, then definitely turn to John 18. Jesus knew what lie ahead. Pain, suffering, and ultimately death. He knew that he would hang between heaven and earth. But before he gets there, he wants to make sure his disciples know who he is and that these Roman soldiers who have come to arrest him do too. In John 18, we have a moment not unlike the transfiguration. It is a moment that Jesus pulls back the cloak of his humanity and people see Jesus for who he is, starting in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was about to happen to him, went out and asked these who were about to arrest him, who is it that you want? Now, Jesus is not asking for information. He's asking for confession. He wants them to admit what they're doing and who they're looking for. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I want you to see Jesus' response and underline it if you haven't already done so. I am he, Jesus said. When Jesus said that, in verse 6, they drew back and they fell to the ground. These hardened Roman soldiers who had seen everything and done everything and been everywhere saw something that day that caused them to fall to their faces. And I believe it's that statement, the one that I asked you to underline. I am. We add the he so it makes sense in English, but let's be clear, friends. This is a statement of divinity. If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God meets with Moses on the mountain and he says, I am that I am. That's who you shall say sent you, Moses. 
Jewish people would go out of their way to avoid using this phrase. And yet here Jesus is declaring, I am. And by so doing, he links himself with that same encounter. In other words, the God who met with Moses is the one standing before them now. And that, friends, is why the cross still matters. If Jesus was just another person, what difference does it make? But if Jesus is divine, if Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, if he is the I am, then the cross is the only thing that matters.
It's Thursday night late. Jesus has been arrested. He's been drugged before a kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin and now stands before Pontius Pilate sometime in the middle of the night between Thursday and Friday. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. You see, the reality is these that were opposing Jesus, they had compromised their very souls. They had surrendered any measure of integrity in the process that had been laid out in the Old Testament in hopes that they could once and for all be rid of this troublesome Nazarene. They wanted him dead, and there was no second-guessing that. That's why Mark 15, verse 12, reads the way it does. You see, the reality is that our friend Pilate had hoped that if he beat Jesus, if he scourged him and whipped him, that maybe, just maybe, the crowd's bloodthirst would back down that these who had welcomed him like a hero on Sunday would not on Friday declare their intentions to see him dead. Starting in verse 12, Pilate brings him out. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Quite literally, drawn straight from the Greek, throw the cross at him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas, the murderer, to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call to him, Hail, King of the Jews, in mock homage. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. Of the inhumane and sadistic tortures developed over the course of the last two millennia, none is on par with what Jesus endured on our behalf. Many prisoners did not survive the flogging. The blood loss was simply too great, the trauma too much. You see, it wasn't just that he was beaten with a whip. It was a cat of nine tails, each of the nine tails embedded with a piece of glass or perhaps a piece of metal. And the one who was wielding the whip would wrap it around the individual, front to back, back to front, and it would dig into the, the flesh on the front, and he would drag it back slowly, hoping to 
exhaust him into submission. The mob mentality was in full force as they chose a murderer over Jesus. It's easy to decry them, but honestly, do we do any better? Here we see, friends, the price of sin. And I want to be clear with you, I would do you no favors otherwise. Jesus did not endure this to make bad people good. That simply is too small of a goal. Jesus did this to make us holy.
It's Friday morning on the day we call Good Friday. Having been wrongly convicted, wrongly condemned, Jesus is now compelled to take a cross similar to the one standing here to carry it up the road that we call the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. It's a narrow path. You can walk it to this day. Almost I can reach from one side to the other. It is not a place that anyone wants to walk bearing the cross, for it leads to but one place, a hill we call Golgotha, Calvary. Luke 23, starting in verse 33, the Bible says, When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jump down to verse 39. One of the other criminals who hung there and hurled insults at him, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you and I are under the same sentence? We're being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Here, after the scourgings, the beatings, the crown of thorns, and the long walk up the hill, they arrived at Golgotha, a term, Hebrew term, that means the place of the skull. They laid the cross down on the ground and put Jesus on it. I'm going to ask my friend Shumi to help me with this portion. I'm sure I can kneel down and get back up again. You'll understand why I'm pushing it off on my friend here. It was there when Jesus laid down on the cross, they took a hammer and they drove nails deep into his hands and feet. These blows were not because of things that Jesus had done. They were price paid for my sin, for yours. That's why the cross still matters. Outside these walls, people were just wandering around, trying to figure out life when we have the hope they need. The message of Luke 23 is it's not too late. The cross was not the only cross that day. There was another one right beside him. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, what had that man done to deserve it? Nothing. And yet, Jesus still kept that promise. 
And that's why the cross still matters. Will you stand with us as we sing this great hymn?
It's midday on Friday. Matthew chapter 27. From noon until three, darkness came over all the land. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, some of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest now said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus lifted his eyes and said, it is finished. And with that, he died. And thus the cosmos shifted. Matthew 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised back to life. They came out of the tomb and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him saw these things, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Friends, let's be clear. When Jesus died, there was a change to every part of the world. The symbolism that is contained in Matthew 27 to 51 cannot be overstated. This curtain, the one that was torn in two, was the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of humanity. It was the place where the high priest would go in. It was the representative of God's very essence, the holiest place on the face of God's earth. When the temple is shaken and the curtain torn. It meant that the bridge between God and man had been changed. But now, now because of the death of Jesus, things are different. 
And that's why the cross still matters. Now, the dividing between God and man has been rendered useless because the price of death, the price of sin has been paid, paid in full. And that's why the cross still matters. Now, as the temple stands different than it was before, this curtain, some say 18 inches thick, torn top to bottom, 40 feet tall, as if the hand of God himself had torn it, means that all of us, all of us can come to the table. And in the darkest moment of Jesus' journey, our freedom was bought. And that, friends, is why the cross still matters. Today we do something that we do only this Sunday. We don't do it any other Sunday of the year. But like I said when I started, I don't believe you can understand the full glory and brightness of Easter until you understand the pain and darkness of Good Friday. What are we doing differently today? We're going to let Jesus stay right where he is. According to the testimony of John, he's been laid in a new tomb, one where no one else has ever been laid. Joseph's tomb, we might call it. It's the tomb that he planned to be buried in, but he offered it. There, Jesus will lay. Oh, but friends, not for long. Not for long. The cross may have looked like it won. Satan may have rejoiced. But his moment of rejoicing is short-lived. We would be remiss to not tell you today that you can find the hope that the cross brings. At the conclusion of this service, meet me right outside here. And let me tell you how you can find freedom and hope and life in the cross. You need not go home that way. We're going to share the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And when we do, let us do so with the knowledge that our freedom to do so was bought because the cross still matters. And today, friends... If you've looked within yourself and you've realized that Jesus is speaking to you about a sin that needs to be confessed, a burden that needs to be lifted, a brokenness that needs to be healed, today is the day you can call on Jesus to do that very thing in your heart. Let us pray together. We have talked today, Jesus, about why your cross still matters. And we remember, we remember, Jesus, that it does. My prayer today, Jesus, as we take these elements of the, the Lord's Supper, that you would remind us that the cross is not merely something that happened long ago. While the event may have transpired long ago, 
the effects of it are as recent as today. Let our lives show that, Jesus. Will you do your work in each of our lives? I pray, Lord, for those who need to respond to you that they wouldn't go home without doing so. I pray for those who are right now dealing with you, asking for your forgiveness, your healing, your redemption, your freedom, that you would meet them right where they are. Your invitation is simple, Jesus. Come. Well, here we are. Do your work, Lord Jesus, in this Lord's Supper time. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.